12 years of owning multiple small businesses, Sean Adams felt overwhelming stress stemming from the government and banks having control over his income. He consumed hundreds of books, interviews, and courses to learn as much as he could about finance and discovered the ultra-rich had insider knowledge about protecting and growing wealth. Sean made it his mission to distill down these secrets and make sure everyone had access to them. This led him to find leveraged life management in order to help other professionals leverage a time-tested wealth building strategy of the ultra-rich. And today, we're gonna pick Sean's brain and find out how he created an infinite banking system and how you too can do the same thing. Super excited to have our guest here today, Sean Adams. Sean Adams got a great background. I'll let him tell you about it. Um, but he uses one of my favorite principles uh, called infinite banking. If you guys haven't heard about infinite banking, make sure you have a pen and a notepad ready because this is one of those strategies that, listen, if you're trying to build wealth, if you're trying to build legacy, this is the Legacy Blueprint podcast after all, right? I think this is one of those tools, one of those tricks that, uh, well, I shouldn't even call it a trick, right? I think a trick is one of those words, right? That, that you know, it kind of sounds like, uh, like it's tricky, but really the reality of it is it's one of those one of those concepts that I think that you need to, you need to have in, in your in your in your bag in your arsenal uh, to be able to deploy to create, um, you know, uh, long term wealth and long term legacy, right? So, um, Sean Adams, thanks for being on the show today. Joe, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Absolutely, brother. Why don't you start out by talking to us about, um, you know, the twelve years leading up to where you're at today? Just a little bit of background, because I know you went through some challenges, went through some struggles, went through some turmoil. You know, we love to talk about the favorite failure on this show. Maybe you had some some obstacles or some speed bumps that, that uh, you had to overcome to get to this point. And then we're going to jump into what you're doing today. And of course, the concepts that, that you're uh, that you teach other people. Yeah, absolutely. Be happy to. Yeah. So I got into this uh, entrepreneur world kind of by accident. Um, although I, I feel that there was some elements where I was born with this and it was uh, kind of the young story of the guy pushing the lawnmower around the neighborhood and just fell in love with autonomy, with the opportunities that were out there, realizing that I could multiply my efforts and that nothing was off limits, right? I could get out there, knock on one door, it could lead to another door, it could lead to a commercial property. And I caught that bug very early on. And the idea of um, you know going and working for somebody or having a summer job just didn't, didn't compute. And so I took that and ran with it. I spent about the first nine, 10 years of my life my professional life, uh, running and scaling that small little landscape business into a general contracting firm, construction management. Uh, we did some real estate work as well. And so that's really where I cut my teeth uh, professionally from the entrepreneur's perspective. And uh, yeah, you mentioned, <laughs> talk about failures and, and uh, missteps. There were a million and one that happened. I got in, I was 14, 15 years old when I got started, right? So I had literally no idea what I was doing. Uh, and so it was one of those things of, learning as I went, there was no mentorship on either side of my family, didn't really even have anybody inside my community. And so I felt as if I had to will my way to success. And I was just going to keep hustling and keep going. Uh, it took me way too long to actually start to reverse engineer what people who were where I wanted to be were and see if I could pull and, you know, get those learned experiences from them. So one of my biggest mistakes was taking way too long to do the self-education and just recognizing that if someone else is where I'd like to be, that in and of itself tells me that it's possible. And mm -hmm. I need to actually pick that person's brain and learn more about that. So I can go I into that. a couple examples there, but, but that's the, that's a long and short of how I got started. And yeah. one of the big, pain points was really around 
uh, financial education among regular business acumen. And um, that led me into a quest of really diving deep into this topic and spending years learning it myself, seeing the progression, seeing how transformational it could be. Uh, talking about the life insurance side, that's what happened with on my end. And I just fell in love with helping other people get those yeah. light bulbs to happen for them. I love that, man. Do you remember when it first clicked for you? Because I, because you know, personally, when it first clicked for me, I was in a, I was in a dark place, man. Like I, I was like almost like in a stress-induced panic attack kind of place when I first realized, like, holy shit, I have to ask for help, right? I, I need to start finding other people that have done better things and figure out how the hell they did it. And it, it, like, almost like, like I had to fight my ego to, to like, pick up the phone and talk to somebody, right? Like, so do you remember that moment that you first decided? There were many panic-induced situations like that, for sure, for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. One in particular, I was, uh, I don't know, 18, 19 or so, and I got, talk about ego, there was an opportunity to win a very large contract that it was a government facility, and it was sexy, it was cool, I was going to have my sign out front, I was going to have to hire this staff, and I went in purely because it made me feel good and thought was going to make me be cool and like really level up this young kid, being able to kick out the incumbent and become this cool new vendor. And I had no idea what I was doing bidding wise, didn't have my finances in order, didn't have the team or the resources to actually execute on the work that needed to be done. But I, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll, we'll, we always work hard. We'll get it done. And I, Joe, I went in so over my head. Odds are, you know, I was the low bidder because I had no idea what I was doing. Sure. <laughs> Got the contract and I had about a year and a half that I had to fulfill on this thing. And my God, I almost went bankrupt just with that one contract. It was one of those things that I just, every element of it was uh, not managed correctly, was underestimated. I didn't think about the details. Uh, we couldn't really hold up a lot of our end of the bargain. And it was just such an overwhelming um, experience for me to be like, God, you cannot go in this blind to these sort of things. You cannot let your ego of like, that looks cool and we'll figure it out on the back end. There's a certain element where you kind of have to fail forward, but also you've got to actually have a strategic plan in here. It can't just be purely on emotions. And that was the real financial wake up call for me too, because I'd lost so much money. I was bleeding out thousands of dollars every week in payroll mm -hmm. and expenses and things. And I had to get really creative with how I stored the cash when I got it. There was long payment terms. And so it was just a masterclass on what not to do. But secondly, how to get your finances in order, understand how cash flow really works and the, the banking world as well. Because when I got the checks in, I had all kinds of problems with the local bank I was working with that was not releasing the funds to me in time. And they were holding things up. And I, I just got stepped on in every spot possible. It was 100% my fault. Uh, but it was one of those moments where it's like, if I don't get my crap together here, I, I'm not going to make it another month, let alone, you know, a career in this. And I just kept thinking, if I'm young, I, I can't see myself ever being able to retire or take some time off or enjoy this at all. I've got to figure out how to, this money can actually be a tool like the lawnmower, like the hammer and everything else. How can I use it as a resource? Because there's clearly a lot of other people out there who know those tactics and strategies to use this as a tool. I got to figure out what those are. Um, that was the light bulb and the, the first domino for me. You know what I love about that story particularly is you hear so many stories about, um, you know, those of us who got cocky when we, were, when we were young and then stepped into success by accident, right? Like you hear about these startups, you know, maybe a tech startup and they were eating ramen noodles and they did something cocky and then they stepped into a million dollar investment. Next thing you know, they blew up and they made a ton of money, right? But we hear very few people who got cocky 
and stepped into shit and nearly filed bankruptcy because of their cockiness, right? And I think that there's probably way more of those stories that you never hear about because people don't share them because, you know, we, we, we took a move. And so like, there's this, like, there's this, this kind of catch 22, right? Like we, you want to be cocky. You, you want to have the guts to go do something. You want to take action because we all preach taking action, right? But you almost want to take calculated risk. You want to make sure that you're not going out there doing things that you just don't even belong doing and, and have no clue about what you're doing them, you know, around, especially when you're talking government contract work or things that you're not capable of doing to begin with. So I think it's a great share because again, I don't think enough people share it, right? It's, it, you know, it's kind of like flipping houses in a way. A lot of, everyone tells you how much money they made flipping houses, but no one ever tells you about the house that they flipped and they lost their entire savings account, right? It's just not a popular thing to talk about. So, um, so I love that you shared that, but let's talk about for a second, because you did talk about how banks were holding up your money. And I want to transition that because I think it's a great segue into what we're here to talk about today, which is turning money into a tool which I think is something you just mentioned as well, which is what you really do today, right? You coach people on how to use money as a resource, as a tool. As, and, I, and I talk about this a lot with our coaching students, a lot with our masterminds, a lot with, with the podcast, right? Is using money as a, as a leverage point and not a scarcity, oh my God, how am I going to pay my bills? It should be the opposite. It should be, how do I leverage this asset? And, and, and your, your, uh, your company's called Leveraged Life, right? Which I love. I saw that title and I thought right off the bat, like, man, this guy gets me, right? How do we use it as a tool to create opportunity instead of a scarcity? You know, I got to hold on to it. I got to figure out a way to make as much and save as much as possible. How do I create opportunity with it? So I know that's what you do. Let's get into it. Yeah, Joe, two words there, leverage that we'll talk about and control, right? Yep. Huge, huge pieces. And when I had some of those light bulb moments of like, oh my gosh, I am in over my head here. I started recognizing this word of leverage and both the fact that I could use leverage, let's say to hire a subcontractor to take care of something, right? Now I'm leveraging someone else's resources to get a job done that I don't have to do. That's using a resource for leverage. There's also over leveraged. And what I was on these particular projects, many other times in my career, uh, taking on too much debt, getting in over my head, I am now over leveraged and understanding who's in control of that lever and how it's being used and some of the components there. So that was one of the key concepts I started really thinking about, keep, you know, staying up at night, like, God, there's got to be some different ways to do this. And I felt that way with the banks in that when I went to go, you know, we're taught from a young age that banks are safe. They're the safest place you can put your money. You have to put your money in a bank because that's what we're just brainwashed to do time and time again. And I kept putting in big checks into the bank. And I had a couple of times where the banks were saying, oh, well, we have to hold this for 14 days, figure it out if it's going to clear. And it's like, this whole time I thought I worked for myself. Turns out I kind of work for the bank, right? Because yeah. they're just telling me exactly how to use my own money. Then I was like, well, how do these banks actually work? And that's when it was like opening up the floodgates, understanding that banks are not in the business of keeping cash dry powder in some huge vault like we think they are, right? They're in the business of, of the velocity of money, meaning that as you get money in there, they are moving that cash around, uh, both from a fractional banking standpoint, meaning that if I come and deposit $10,000 and Joe, you come in right after me and request a line of credit for $5,000, they're using my 5,000 to lend out to you and cycling the money over and over again, right? They've sort of pioneered the concept of other people's money from the original times back in the 1800s that came up with this whole concept. 
Well, in addition to the short term where they're lending money out, they also have to make very strategic investments. They have to get a guaranteed rate of return somewhere. They're not in the business of making um, you know, high risk types of investments. And so what, what I learned is that they put the vast majority of their tier one assets, meaning like their, their most valuable uh, capital in what are called bolies, which are bank owned life insurance policies. And the reason that they do that is because those policies offer a guaranteed rate of return, typically at a floor, a minimum of 4%. So the bank is taking your money and their profits, they're putting it in some investment, they're getting the 4%. And what do they give you in return, right? Like 0.1% on your savings, if you're lucky, right? So they are the middleman. They're in control. They are leveraging someone else's money. And as I started talking to more wealthy people, they're like, Sean, if you notice the little metaphorical pyramid that's happening there, yeah, we cut out that middleman because there's no sense of us funding the bank. It makes no uh, you know, financial sense for us to do so. And so the whole principle is to cut out the bank from the equation and you be able to take advantage of some of these resources. Now, I say that by saying, I'm not saying cut up your debit card and store your money in the mattress. I'm talking about long-term savings. I'm talking about cash you're using for buying property, investing in your business, hiring, expanding, your capital that you use as a tool. And what's so amazing about it is you're storing it just in a different warehouse. Instead of the bank being able to leverage it and do what they want to do to make money, you're putting it in a policy that is guaranteeing that the minimum you're ever going to make on your money is 4%. What you do with it after that you have full leverage over now, right? So now you can take and loan out against that, that value you have in there without interrupting the compounding growth on the money. And you can use it to buy property. I know a lot of your audience is real estate investors. That's where we focus because this audience tends to understand using other people's money. And that's exactly the concept. You can almost double dip if you know how to play the game, if you know the rules to the game. And so that's really what was very eye-opening for me, uh, recognizing that there was recipes for wealth and building success. And I just had to get in front of the right people that understood those things. And it was like, you know, video games, there was a cheat sheet for how to use these tools and other people had them. So it was just a matter of mirroring what they do. I didn't invent this. There's many, many other people that do this. And I always look for historical precedent, right? I don't want to know what people have been doing since Bitcoin came out in 2008. It's got its place and that's great. But I'm looking at people that have been doing this for a hundred years, right? Mm. I want to know what the Rockefellers were doing and why they're still making money today, right? I want that proven track record. That's why I tend to, le to lean on these type of resources. Yeah, no, and, and uh, I love the fact that you're talking about stuff that's, that has been proven for, you know, literally a century or centuries, right? And so, um, and, and you're right. And so, Talking about this concept of infinite banking, not only are we getting to talk about guaranteed rate, but I, I know you're going to get into the whole concept of investing and then leveraging your own capital. Like get, get into the nitty gritty, if you won't mind for a minute, about what that looks like, right? So I, I go out and take a life insurance policy out, right? I, I, there's a cash value to it, right? I can borrow against that cash value. What does that, what does that look like? Walk me through that. Yeah, so it's a matter of sort of uh, diverting instead of using and storing your cash inside of a, let's say, a savings account at your local bank. It's about using a life insurance, a properly structured cash value life insurance policy as a flexible savings account. Same general mm -hmm. idea. So we are funding money into that thing. 
Lots of different ways to do it. Some people do big lump sums, not always the ideal way to do it. M many people just pay monthly, quarterly, or annually every single year. They're putting money into the policy, uh, like, like a bill or a forced savings account. And you're mm -hmm. putting that money into the policy. The first function is that it's a life insurance contract, meaning that it is a contract between you and the insurance carrier that is insuring your livelihood or your whoever you take the policy out on. So if I take a policy out on myself and uh, whenever I die, right? So if that's tomorrow or if that's when I'm 105 years old, the insurance company is going to give my wife and, and uh, my future family uh, a death benefit, a cash payment, one time uh, lump sum payment, 100% tax-free when I die. That's inevitable that I'm going to die. So why not lock in that level of control, right? We should all have life insurance anyway. But let's not just pay into an empty hole that we don't get to use while we're living. Let's also have some living benefits to it. So the first piece is it helps buy you a large death benefit that covers you and your family if you die prematurely or when you die at a nice healthy age. It's a legacy plan for that family, right? So that's mm -hmm. piece one. The second piece is as you make payments into this thing, cash value accumulates in there. I liken it to equity inside of a home because most people can understand that, right? As you make payments into your mortgage, you pay down your expense and you raise your level of equity that you have. Same general idea. So if you, you know, have 100 grand of equity in your property, everybody knows that you can go get a cash uh, out refinance or you can use a line of credit against that, right? You can go to a third party lender and they will give you a loan out against that. The equity you're building, the cash value you're building, the policy, I mentioned, get a minimum of 4% net return on that from the insurance carrier. The insurance carrier will also act as a lender as well if you want to. So the worst thing you can do, let's say you've got 100 grand in cash value in this little savings account, and you need to put 50 grand into a down payment on a new property. The worst thing you can do is take a $50,000 withdrawal out of a big pool of money that's getting compounding growth every single year guaranteed. So the insurance company says, look, if you've got the cash in there, we know you're good for it because we're not going to lend you any more than what you have in here, right? It's guaranteed for them as well. So they say, we'll give you like 90, 90% uh, up to that, whatever amount you want to take out. So I can take my 50,000 as a loan where the insurance company basically uses the cash value as collateral. And they say, we'll give you 50 grand from our general fund. You keep your 50 grand in your whole $100,000 policy. And you use that 50 grand for whatever you want. It doesn't have to be business. It could be taking a vacation. could be anything you might want to do with it. They do charge an interest rate with that. But that cash that you're going to pull out uh, or loan out against does not come out of your total 100000 right? Because you're using it as a loan against it, not actually withdrawing it, which means that your 100000 continues to get 4% growth as if you never took a loan out against that other amount. So you start to see where you can double dip and there's just natural arbitrage there, making 4%, I'm paying a little bit back and hopefully I put money into an asset like real estate and it's getting me a 12% cash on cash return or whatever that number is, right? This is where it starts to get really powerful uh, because your bank account sure as hell is not giving you anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And so many people do this with lines of credit on their house, right? I borrow hundred grand from my line of credit, I lend it to you, I make 12%, I put it back. Okay, I made twelve percent, right? But this is that you used a couple. You used a couple terms there that I actually use a lot. Forced savings account. I love this term, forced savings account, because we as real estate investors, what happens every time we have money, we throw it back in another deal, 
or we buy something else. Like we're, we're always broke, right? There's always, there's, there's never cash and we're never saving money. Cause every time we save money, we buy another deal, right? Or we buy another exactly. piece of you know, property or we loan it out to somebody. So I love the forced savings account because it literally forces me every month to pack money away into a cash valued account. Now, instead of it just being in a savings account, I'm getting a death benefit, right? I have a cash value I can borrow against. You know, I have this thing building up over time, which is compounding interest. And it's not point zero that you know seven percent like a normal savings account if that in a, in a, in a bank but it's mm-hmm. getting four percent or four and a half percent whatever the the, the rate is in, in life insurance policy so there's like all these ancillary benefits piled on top of the fact that that you're getting great interest right and so um you know this is why i think for most real estate investors they i can't tell you how many times sean and this this is probably frustrating for you too you talk to people and they're like no nah, i don't have that it's like, did you ever even look into it? Did you ever even like, like, did you ever ever quote anybody? Anybody actually do, um, you know? And you and you talked about this earlier that uh, that you're going to offer a free wealth audit. And you're going to actually do, um, you know, potentially a, a visual of what this looks like for people so that they can actually um, understand it a little bit better. Um, but how often do you talk to people that just, you know, and and these are I'm talking like successful business owners who have just absolutely no idea this exists. Oh, every single day, every single day it happens. Yeah. I mean, life insurance is a buzzword that people don't like, right? It's like, it's like going to a cocktail party and saying, Hey, I'm a used car salesman. People just like, Oh, (laughs) like it's just one of those terms because the industry has been filled since the 1940s and fifties with people who have been pushing a product that is really not ideal for the end consumer. Right. And so I know you've, you've had people on your show talk about this previously, but the idea is really that the insurance agent, when they're selling these programs, they're not designed to be used like this. They are just yeah. selling you pure death benefit coverage. It's very expensive and it kind of goes into a hole and you never see the money again. Where yeah. properly designed and engineered policies become not only the protection element, but you get the, the, the guaranteed growth, you get the leverage, you get um, mitigation in case the, the market crashes, in case the, the real estate market goes berserk. All these different sort of protection um, elements are in place as well. And I think that's a huge, huge piece. And it's one of those things of just recognizing, we call it like the triple play, right? So money comes in your bank account. If you dip it in the policy first and then move it into your investment, it's like a maximization strategy, right? It like grows friends just by being in there. And now by doing that triple play, you're just maximizing your wealth because you're guaranteeing a couple more points of return every time you do a deal. And to your point, this is why real estate uh, professionals, I think are such a a huge market for this is because we constantly are in and out of deals and we lose so much opportunity cost by our money sitting stagnant. I can't tell you how many people have money sitting in a, in a big, um, maybe like a, you know, I don't know, large apartment complex or something like that, or some syndication, they don't take it out because they're like, well, what am I going to do with it? I don't have another deal to put it in. So I'll just wait and it just yeah. sits there and you're completely illiquid in the meantime. So sure. the ability to double dip there, I think is super powerful for investors. Yeah, super powerful. Uh, you did say protection there. Let's talk about that for a second because these are protected, right? They're, 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 they're protected from bankruptcy, correct? Yep. So, so that's something that, you know, from, a, from a, an investment standpoint, again, you know, like real estate investors, hot, cold, markets change, oh, yeah. you get caught with your pants down. Now you have a cash value account with the death benefit that's protected, protect, you know, potentially from bankruptcy. If God forbid, that's something you have to go through, right? 
Yeah, I'm not an attorney, so don't take that as, as legal advice. Every state is a little bit different, but by and large, a uh, properly structured cash value life insurance policy is a private contract between you and the carrier, meaning you do not have to disclose this on your balance sheets. You don't have to disclose this in any other corporate documents if you don't want to, but you can if you need to show it as an asset on your balance sheet, for example. So you go through divorce, bankruptcy, somebody else comes after you. Uh, by and large, that cash value is all able to be protected and it is off the table from litigators. Huge, huge advantage there uh, because there's very few other things that give you that level of protection. Love it, love it. Sean, what did I forget to ask before we talk about where people can reach you? Um, yeah, I would just say that the, the ability to, you touched on it, but just um, thinking outside the box, right? We don't recognize how much we've been brainwashed by people, by uh, Wall Street and a lot of other places on what is the regular way to building wealth. Everyday people haven't had this level of exposure. So I always say challenge conventional norms, right? Just mm -hmm. because it wasn't in Dave Ramsey's latest book doesn't mean that it's not the most valuable piece of information you could need, right? So think critically, but do your own research, right? This strategy is not something for every single American out there, but unfortunately, most financial advice is designed that way. They take advice for people that make 50 grand a year and work a nine to five, and they try to apply it to everyone. And that's where we get into trouble. So I would say just think and, and uh, make sure that you're trying to get creative with doing your own research, finding people in your industry specifically who are using this stuff. The more you uncover in the real estate market, you're going to find more and more people that are using some element of this. Yeah, I, I would say no doubt this is a top 10%, you know, uh, advice strategy, right? I mean, there's, you, if you want to get yourself into that top 10% realm, this is, some, this is the type of thing you need to pay attention to. This is what separates the truly wealthy from, you know, from those that are, are you know, trying to get to that level, you know, and I think that this is one of those things that, again, I talk to people who are, you know, quote unquote, successful, making real money, operating multiple businesses that just don't even know the strategy exists. So uh, I'm glad there's guys like you out there putting it and shedding light on it. Um, let's talk about um, what, what it is that you're offering. I know you have a free wealth audit. How did people reach you and um, how can they get a hold of that? Yeah. So if this is the first time you've ever heard this concept, it, there's some complexities to it. It can be a little overwhelming. I don't like to push anybody into anything. So first thing, if you go on my website, leveraged-life.com, I have lots of resources on there. I have a free video crash course. You don't even need your email. You just hop on there. I got like 35 different videos, little bite-sized pieces of different elements of the strategy. It's a great way to get warmed up to it to see if it's even remotely interesting to you. And if you think, okay, this might be something I'd like to learn more, how it might be applicable to me, uh, you can book a free call to wealth audit, which is exactly that. We sit down, you'll talk to myself on a Zoom call and we'll map out your situation. We'll actually design what we call illustrations, uh, which will show over time, if you put this much money in, this is what you would look like. Here's how you can use it. And we basically just create a bunch of case study type of scenarios for you. So you can get a really good idea of what this would look like in action for you, or if it's not a good strategy, right? And we, we've turned down people as well. So it's not for everyone, but it's important to get on and kind of do your due diligence. We'll be happy to point you in the right direction. So the, the Wealth Audit's a great place to do that. A one hour call. And if you are brand new to the concept, when you sign up, we also will mail you two free books too, uh, that will kind of warm you up. One's by a gentleman named Nelson Nash uh, called Becoming Your Own Banker. And that really was the, the, the catalyst to a lot of this in like the 1980s going into early 90s that really sparked this interest. So we'll send you that book. Another book called uh, What Would the Rockefellers Do? Which shows you some of the old families from the uh, turn of the century and how they've been using this strategy for well over 120 years. So we'll include those 
as well on a wealth audit. So you can, you know, not take our word for it, make sure you're doing your own research and, and getting warmed up to the concept. There you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Adams, man, you brought the heat today. You're giving the, the audience some great uh, free gifts. And of course, uh, you know, I think some knowledgeable advice and I hope that people take advantage of it, get in touch with this guy. The links will be in the show notes. Make sure you reach out to him. This is your ability, your option, and your opportunity right now to level up, to get your game to the next level. Make sure you guys contact Sean. And as always, give us a five-star review. Make sure you check us out and uh, give us a review. Make sure you write what the kind of value was that you found in this today's episode. So I think there's a lot of golden nuggets dropped today. Sean, thanks for being on the show, brother. Appreciate it. Joe, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely.